When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most family-friendly podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. Uh, this is a show where we ask you, what's your story and what does it say about you? I'm George Zimos, and on the show today we have comedian, actor, ex-model, oh oh, God, jo- Joseph Green. Thank Can you, George. Jojo? It's great to see you, brother. It's good to see you too. How are you doing? I'm very good. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. very excited to have you on the show here, Joey Jojo. We've, uh, we've, been, we've been friends for a while, eh? We have. Yeah, yeah. We have. I haven't seen you in so long. It's yeah, Corona. You look. You look. Is a good excuse you to look avoid as people. Handsome like, as ever. Uh, what? <laughs> just gorgeous. Ah, look, I try, but you know, we're not all ex models. Sort of disheveled sexuality. Just you know, it's a vibe. I'm. Uh, I'm not going for intentionally, but I think I'm getting by accident, which is great. You have mm. just for the listeners. I saw George. He he walked up the driveway and just like a a tight fitting white t shirt, just glistening in the the fading sunlight. And then he put on a, a sweet pink hoodie and. Uh, that he was well aware sort of accentuated his, his muscular physique. And then as soon as he entered the house, he took it off in the way that makes your shirt come off. So like half his torso's re- been revealed seductively. And here we are just trying to hang on for dear life. Look, I just want to clarify. Uh, when you take off your jumper without turning it inside out, I don't know how, how else can you do it. It's, this, it's the most efficient way to do it without but turning it But you were wearing out. that jumper for all of 75 seconds. Well, it's called heating inside the house versus outside the house. I know. I Joe, know. so, you know, it's temperature, temperature control. That's what that is. But You're going to edit that, aren't you? <laughs> You're really paranoid now about this editing feature <laughs> of podcasts. I've blown your mind by the concept that there's editing that goes on. Once to you remove- told me that, I thought, God. The whole thing will be reframed. Everything will be changed. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what's the power. You, it's amazing. You can actually edit things quite a bit more than you'd think about. Like you could change someone's sentence completely. Without. How do you have that skill, George? You just, it's just cut. It's just cut. You taught yourself? Uh, I had some help from the guys in the podcast thing. So, yes. But yeah. now I've got an improved a bit. You've got an impressive skill set. Uh, yeah. Three things now. <laughs> and I read some books. Speaking of books. Books. Look, Speaking of books, George can, Dimarello. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> he's repeating things I say. Well, now. can I just say, this has been a secret, you know, many times I've, I've, I've stewed on, on the success of your world book tour that's evolved into the podcast that we are on today. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of been riddled with jealousy and bordering on rage that I didn't capitalize on this movement myself and start a, a, a literati of followers and uh anyway you've 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 ridden the wave that i can only look on with envy <laughs> um look it's it's more of a ripple than a wave but uh we can see where it gets to it's a sensation george it is i've been to your shows the live shows are a sensation it's a good time it's a frenzy yeah yeah and it's it's got a, it was better this year as well so i was of really looking for fiends yeah I was what really, do you mean it was better this year? i just did some little tweaks here uh, here and there and the, here what were and your there. tweaks uh, i just made it more like uh playing with the audience um like directly like as in just like Little games, little silly things like that. Oh, stuff they'd which, love they'd, that, George. Yeah. They'd love that. <laughs> they would. Oh, George, playing oh. with the audience. Yeah, it's a good time. That's yeah, why yeah. they buy the tickets. <laughs> exactly. They tell their friends it's about to kill a mockingbird, but then it's all George DiMorellos. 
You're just you're still you're still loving that time uh, in the show last year when you were there with the uh, yes the older crowd the the drunk women that were in the audience oh, just salivating over you every moment they were they were rowdy but that Raucous. that particular show I think wasn't there two book clubs in the one yeah, show yeah, rival book clubs yeah one that of them was, was pretty funny yeah it's, it's amazing when that happens it's, it's, uh, look I'm sure it will happen more in the future it's a uh, you know what was the heck? Was I there? When, when you were there with the weird heckle, the one that so, she was. I can't remember exactly what you said. You said something like you quoted maybe a Greek. Oh, what, what was you, that? You, or was it something like I've, I haven't read that Tim Winton novel? And and someone's like, yeah, because you're Greek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I think uh, uh, because that particular one, uh, that book club that came was uh, it's a little bit older. I feel like they didn't go to comedy shows much. Yeah. So they were just kind of like just out on the wines on their regular book That was nights. one so of were... the wildest just comedy shows. Just it was, full stop that I've ah, It was seen, wild. Let like, alone a book comedy no, no, show. You would not expect some of these book clubs. They get rowdy. They, they do, man. They get on the wines. They're out. It's, it's 7 p.m. They're out with their friends. They've drunk a few wines, you know. And uh, was was that typical of what you've come to expect of your legion of fans? I'll say it's it's not atypical. Wow, <laughs> like it happens, Gee, you know. Timorales. All these readers, they're a bunch of drunks. A lot of them. So. It's good to be here, man. Well, I'm glad. Oh yes, I'm glad you're here. And yeah. I, you know, this show now. It's all about unpacking both you and what you choose to yes. as your favorite. Yes. Um, but let's get to that. You've just, this is the first time I've allowed this, but you've refused to tell me. Before, you've refused to decide. Beforehand, but now you're going to tell me right now what is your favorite book? Well, it wasn't a refusal. It was because I just didn't. I, it's very difficult for me to choose one because yeah. I'm, I'm in the habit of carrying several everywhere I go at all times, just depending on the mood. Yeah, depending on what mood you're in. It's sort of, sort of like I, I feel like books are like music in that way. You don't know, you know, you have listened to music based on what mood you're in and what you feel like you need at that particular point in time. And with books, I have a, you know, a mix of books in my backpack and depending on what mood I am as I'm sitting on the tram, I'll choose a particular book that's going to feed my, my psyche in that particular moment. See, that's... Like, honestly, do I I'm, sound like do I sound like a very big wanker when oh, I say like that? Like the biggest, it's ridiculous, <laughs> which is amazing. Like, is there anyone reading this? I'm glad you said it because I'm pretty sure anyone who was listening to this would be like, "Wow, that is the biggest douchebag I've ever heard in my entire life." That's a. Like, <laughs> this is why I should have had the book club podcast. I love books. I love books. If you're listening to this and you love books, come follow me. We can love books together. <laughs> Anyway, okay. Um, look, we, no, we're gonna unpack. Let's start with that because firstly, I do think that's funny because you, okay, you you teach yoga. That's one of your things that you oh do as God. well. I should have mentioned that. All um, you're focusing on is my modeling career, my huge international modeling career, and my successful yoga teaching business. That's all. I'm just all taking you attention away from your book reading. <laughs> no, but I guess this is going somewhere because, like, okay, so you do meditation stuff like that. God, George, please. Yes? No? Of course I do. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's very unsurprising, I guess. <laughs> but what I mean is like, so I, you, you give off the vibe of someone who's very well aware of the need to be present. I will put it that way. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, as in, uh, you know, you're, you, you, you don't... Okay. How about this? Let's, let's, let's finish the trifecta. You're also an actor as well. So in yeah. acting, you're well aware that uh, you need to be in touch with your moods and be able to reflect them and be very, very open to how you're feeling and how the world is impacting you. That's part of the acting process. Oh, George, you're hitting the nail on the head, mate. <laughs> We're giving away all the trade secrets know, no, here. It's, it's exactly. That's right. Let them join us. That's what I tell them. But because of that, uh, you're just more aware of the mood you're in. This is what I'm trying to get to with that. Okay. So then maybe more most people would be. Oh, you've you've given me a a compliment I didn't expect. Well, that's what I do. Like, oh, it's, it's, God, I like both that's the, the charm. That's the George Dimarellas charm that the women <laughs> fall in love with. Ah, yes. <laughs> no, that's one, one day. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, you yeah. So most people probably sit there and they're like, I don't know how I'm feeling. But you're like literally being like, oh no, I feel like this kind of state right now, which means I've got this outlet in this form of literature, I guess. But it's reflective of anything. It's like, yeah, music or whatever. It's like you're more in touch with your mood and you play either to it or do you sometimes maybe go against it as well? You're like, I'm down, I want to read something happy. Or you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. But there's a particular... 
even uh, right in front of me now, I've got about a dozen books, and yeah. they're all they're different, but there's a there's a they're all very whimsical in their own way, you know, which is a bit of my vibe. What what I like. But now it's not a feel. Like you're trying to guide the conversation, but okay, all right, we'll give you the whimsical thing. Well, you don't you don't think so? No, I don't. You haven't told me any of your books yet. Well, they're all in front of you, George. Yeah, I know. So let's all, I, I don't know so if, if you're familiar with any of these titles. Okay, so but we, no. We, firstly, we have we to look choose at this, one. Which is the one? Which if you like, isn't even as a. See, this is interesting as well because would you consider yourself an indecisive person? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh god! god. I, fucked, I fucked that, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> in a beautiful way. So I, you can't even be decisive. That was being so indecisive. poetic in its yeah. own way, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Well, it's very on brand for me. Yeah. So, so, but like, so I guess that's why you find it so difficult to uh, pick a favorite book. But I guess if you had to pick one, would you, whether it's the most reflective of you, or maybe the one yes. you find yourself. And thank you, George. Meaning on, more? I have I have chosen one. Yeah. I, I I spoke to one of your previous guests, Aurelia mm-hmm. Saint Clair, earlier mm-hmm. today, and she she offered some guidance. She asked some. Specific questions, as in, which book do you know the most about? And that was a very, that narrowed it down for me. And I chose The Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams. Okay. Are you familiar? You you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Uh, No, I know of Tennessee. I know of Tennessee and I've heard The Glass Menagerie. It's in the middle of this pile. I I can see it there now. I can see it in this stack you've got here. But I, I, my, there are no pictures. It is a play. Oh, it is a play. Which perhaps okay, you haven't had before. No, I, I have had a play before, yes. Oh, God. Yes, I had a man for all seasons. Oh, very good. Who, who chose that? Uh, one of our podcast guests. Oh, very Adam good. Carnivale. Oh, nice so, one. Yes, he uh, so I had a very interesting insight into that. That's but good. This, so, see, I knew it was a play. And he's a poet as well, because I think you said uh, maybe you chose a poet, which I technically did, but he's also a playwright. And... So, this is a, so, you would say this is... Like reflective of you, if you if you had to pick, I guess. oh, it is very reflective. Gun to your head. I've 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 read it many 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 times over many years. Yeah yeah yeah. It's it's out of all these books, I'm in this book the most. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it can with a bit more explanation. Well, so the the the, the play's about uh, a, a young a young man who lives with his mum and his sister, and his dad has has left them, and I guess Tennessee Williams. For those of the you that don't know Tennessee Williams, it has sort of a sort of like a very lyrical way of illustrating, you know, the human drama. And uh, it was one of it was the first play I ever read where I was like, "Oh wow, this guy, this homosexual man from the deep south, understands me so well and perfectly." Right, and I, I just felt like, oh, this is my whole life in this play, and uh, it had a you know tremendous impact, and probably like in large part why I wanted to be an actor was because of that play. I was going to say it's funny the actor chooses a play. The actor <laughs> chooses the play. Yeah, no, he's in your you like he's in your. Like, oh, oh yes, acting is part well, of what you do. And but... I made this decision about five minutes before before you got here. Look, maybe that makes it more raw. That's 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 the Joseph Green that I know. You know? <laughs> I felt the room and the vibe, you know. I, I saw the color of your jumper. I was, I was aware I was becoming very sentimental as uh, I was speaking about it, but you know, sometimes you need to be sentimental. Yeah. I suppose. Well, I mean, like it, it's so when you're saying that actually made you want to be an actor. Ah, uh, this sounds like a wanky thing to no, say. No, but I mean, it? is it true? Uh, I mean, it wasn't the only thing. Yeah, it's of us, like a a congregation of things, but but that sort of wind in the sail sending me in that direction. So I guess uh, firstly that means you read that younger. Yeah, I would have been in my early twenties. Ah, oh, so you hadn't I, really looked at acting before then. I mean, I'd done a few things. Like I was doing um, student theatre at, at Monash where I was studying, and I think at some point while I was studying that, I, I read that play, and and I was like, "Wow, this guy gets it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I can't understand what you mean there because it's like where you might even start on something, but then even after you've started it, then you get the thing which makes you go, "Wow, this is like, I really want to do it." Like in comedy, let's say for example, like you might yes. start that. For me, I can't remember which. I think it was like seeing like Stuart Lee or something like that and being like, oh, wow. Like You saw Stuart Lee live? No, no. But as in like I hadn't seen his special even before I started doing comedy. And then you see something like that and you're like, oh, wow. It's almost like pushes me to do it, makes me appreciate it on a bigger art form oh, than sure. I had. So you started it. doing stand-up and then you saw Stuart Lee. 
Yeah, it's and just a special. Just an example of. I'm not saying that he's uh, the only thing that's pushed in. Like I've seen lots of people that I love, but of just course. in terms of seeing where it can go and what it can be, and that be, and even though I've started it, yes. I could call that a yeah a push to do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I understand. Saying. Have you have you have you read Stuart Lee's book? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Isn't yeah, it's it? very good. Yeah, good analysis of uh, how I escaped my certain fate. Yeah, one where he analyzes his uh, performance. Yeah, it's it's great to read that and see it on the page and. I guess maybe this is too inside comedy, but it's interesting to sometimes see the words just as they appear on paper because often we don't do that, or I know I don't do that a lot because it's a spoken word medium. So we go in with the seed of an idea and you start articulating it and find the beats and rhythms and where the laughs are in that particular bit. And the writing happens almost spontaneously in conjunction with the audience's reaction and affirmation and guidance of where to take it. But to see it on, on page sort of makes you look at the, I guess, way of doing stand-up in a, a different way, a slower way or more reflective way. And he has a very unique and specific rhythm for how he performs. And it's very like innately Stuart Lee. Mm. So you don't really do that? Writing, I, I write. I would write uh, almost every day. I would say, but not uh, specifically. I, I I don't like have a like a a disciplined approach of like I'm going to write for thirty minutes now and just focus on stand up writing. I'll just write at the start of the day just to do the morning pages things or just like clearing way, yeah. clearing the, <laughs> the artist way yes yeah so you do the full three pages the artist way is a book by i think it was i'm pretty sure it's like susan something or yeah we should know it George. um and where the, one of the tips that it has is that every morning you should write freehand three pages of your basically subconscious just write yes yeah um do you do the full three pages every day oh yeah Oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Because I, I, I really liked it when I did it, but just it takes so long to do three well, pages. Well, well, see, this is – we can talk about this. Um, oh, Julie Cameron. Julie think, Cameron. Yeah. Okay. For, for those people who are curious. And it's very – it's got a number of exercises in it that are helpful and uh, useful things to do just to lubricate the creative cogs in your imagination. But, you know, this book I'm holding here, it's like an A5 book. Mm-hmm. Which is is that half of an A four? It's half, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how it works. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you actually have a funny story on A five, A four, A three, A one, A. Don't you? Yes. Well, like a post throw accident, the audit in A. What, what was that? I think it was A zero. I think it might have been. Which is gigantic. It's the size of a bed of a double bed. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit of a fuck up on my part. Was that for the the book the book it was show? For the book show, yeah, yeah. That's I was ordering fantastic. it for a sign, and I thought like. I, I don't know where my brain went, but I, I just didn't do the doubling correctly. Yeah. So I think I got I went one double more than I thought. Yeah. And I got it and yeah, it was a, it was a bed sheet. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> that was very, very funny. So ridiculous. I love that. But uh, yeah, I, I typically I might have a book like this. Sometimes I might have an A4 book, but So you'll fill out three pages of A5? Uh m- sometimes many more. Sometimes less. Like okay, right. I, I don't I don't like oh, you're just pressing to it. <laughs> dude, you can't beat yourself up for like writing one or two pages. Yeah, if you've no. got other shit to do on that particular day. But it is it is a good practice just to put pen to paper. I try to do that. Yeah, yeah. So doing that every day. Even if I if even it's one page, this like, you know, you showed up the, to do that thing. And and so that's what you mean by when you're saying you write every day. Or then you do more on top of that as well. Yeah, I like uh, there's another um The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp talks about I guess principles to sort of like ignite you into positive action for your mm. own creativity. And one of the things she talks about is setting the bar very low so you feel like you've got an early win to give you confidence. And for me with writing, for writing anything, it's literally if I write the date and say it's the 23rd of June um, 2020 and I'm go, good morning, okay, I've done, the, I've done it. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's, I've done what I needed to do. And then but once I've done that, I'll always – Continue, yeah. yeah. And maybe some days you don't, though, as well. Have you had any days where, like, because I agree, I'm saying, and it's okay. okay. It's good that some days you might do that, and you're like, yep, that's. And yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I sometimes I, I, usually I'll feel at least an A5 piece. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm using a lot of, I bought a bunch of A5 books that were on sale recently, so I was filling them up. But uh, usually I might use a 
maybe an A4 size book, all different. But I, I don't know if you've been journaling for a while, but I, during this whole COVID lockdown, I like took all my journals together um, from like the last, I guess, 12 years. It was about uh, maybe 50 or 60 journals. Well, like of these morning journals you're talking about or yeah, like yeah, yeah. diaries? Sort well, of I was sort of doing the morning pages, quote unquote, before I knew about the morning pages anyway. Okay. But it's sort of, it's an interesting thing to look back at your journals from 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and seeing what you were thinking and stuff like that. And sort of be, I was sort of. 10 years. Encouraged by, oh, that was good that I was, had that awareness at that point. But also frustrated. I'm like, God, what's changed? <laughs> Nothing's changed. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that could be part of it as well, which is like, you know, that's just part of who you are as well. Yeah, and, and, and then then I as part of me, you know, it was saw it and I'm like, oh that's nice. And then a part that would be like, God, you're a wanker, mate, with this horse shit you're talking about. Get a life, you fool. Like really and truly. <laughs> and but anyway, interesting. That's good, at least you know what people think when they see you do stand <laughs> I'm very cognizant <laughs> Couldn't resist. of the animosity that's projected towards <laughs> me again and again and how I have to receive that hateful energy and transmute it into some alchemical healing laughter for the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you're, and you're super aware of it because you're so present. You are feeling all that energy. Fuck you, George! <laughs> Fuck you! Uh, okay. But it's funny, it's like, as in, so this is when we discussed before this episode what you were going to do, and you mentioned poetry, and I was like, ah, oh, um, that's good because I haven't had anyone doing poetry. Now you've gone to Tennessee Williams, who is a poet, so this is still relevant. Yeah. Uh, but you I, mentioning morning pages. Yeah. And the reason I'm thinking that is because I recently uh, was like, I want to actually learn a bit more about poetry. So I actually bought this book called The Ode Less Traveled by Stephen Fry, where he basically does a mechanical look at how poetry works. And he's okay. like, this isn't the. He's like, as he says in the intro, he's like, this isn't the be all end all. This is literally people are like, what do I do to even understand what this art form is? So yeah, like, sure. I'm going to give you the basics. And obviously there's a many ways to break it and all that, but here is the simple things. And then he's slowly going through. And the idea is you do a chapter and you do some exercise and stuff. Look, I've been fairly inconsistent in it, but I've definitely, like, at least it's made me appreciate a bit more rhythm and oh, wonderful. flow and stuff like that. You could do with that, Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. Uh- Luckily, I'm editing this podcast, bro. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I pick what stays. <laughs> no, it's true. It, it is actually like actually that's another point I want to say as well because I do think about poetry. Because oh, firstly, this one. Uh, so just to clarify, uh, so when I'm making morning pages, one thing I found was it was like, oh, I'll do these exercises, and it's just like a four four line, a couplet, whatever, whatever. That's these called, are the Stephen thing. Fry exercises. Stephen Fry exercises, right? It yeah. just says get used to it, and just like, and it's got bigger exercises like that take a while, but it also says just whenever you want, just do like a four line thing just to get your head in that shape. And a few oh, times when right. I'd wake up doing morning pages, yes. I'd be like, you know what, I'm going to try and just do a four line poem about that, whatever. That's nice. And this is going to sound super wankery as well. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is what yeah. this podcast has been today. <laughs> but it was the most weirdly, like I'm talking like I'm doing a full line poem about like how tired I am waking up or something yes. or like this cup of tea or something. Perfect. And it was the most weirdly therapeutic thing. Perfect. Like it's one of those, it's one of those where I was just like, oh, my brain is feeling different from forcing it to like do this spin and get this going but it's like it was weirdly yeah therapeutic isn't that wonderful yeah it was very strange i was very, i was because like you see people all the time doing these morning poetry things i'm like oh of course but then i didn't what do you like, mean you see people doing this all the time morning poetry oh uh, like i guess i've on on instagram and stuff you sometimes see people who post Oh, I wrote this today and did that today and stuff. Really? Like that. How many people do you follow that are posting their own poems I'll be every honest, morning? I've, I've seen two, and it's not every morning, but it is occasionally. I've seen two different people who would be like, "Oh, this is a poem I wrote today this morning." Well, that's not a bad thing. I think the world needs a little bit more poetry. I wasn't saying it was yeah. a bad thing. I was just saying my reaction to it, which yes. is mean as well. Yes, I'm yes. just like, oh, yeah. but that's great that you did that. Well, yeah, it was. So it was an interesting. Uh, experience of understanding that like well that, that's what that's why i was intrigued by discussing this poetry thing because it's something yes. which i've blundered into because it wasn't something i ever really appreciated growing up well i have other poets here in my shortlist uh <laughs> maya angelo uh curly saunders and mary oliver and rumi yeah so i uh, all of whom are fantastic in yeah. their own way maybe i'd have to borrow one of them and i give it a bit of a flick through once i I'm still look. I'm on chapter two or something of this. I've got oh, a while to Stephen go. Fry but, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to learn to appreciate more. But I guess so. One thing I'll ask 
with related to that because I blundered into it. I didn't know. I've I've never been very good at appreciating like rhythm and cadence and its importance. Uh, even though like I like reading, uh, I love reading good language and stuff. It's probably never been something that's top of mind. So if if, of- if rhythm and cadence isn't big for you, what what is? Um, so original is more like uh, characterization and like maybe it being evocative in terms of like making me feel the setting, let's say, but that doesn't okay. necessarily mean it has to be flowing. It's just not, it's, it might be there, but I'm just not appreciating it. You know what I mean? Like yes. you know, I'm more liking the fact that, Ooh, I can feel how grungy this setting is or oh, I yeah. love how funny this character is, or I love how much that character did that, or I love how well structured this plot is, all that stuff. Yeah. But in terms of actually really appreciating the rhythm and flow of the language, mm-hmm. that's probably something which was slightly less for me than maybe I would like it to be. Yes. So I'm kind of looking up this poetry stuff. So I guess this is maybe my roundabout way of asking, did you always have an appreciation for that stuff? Growing up, were you into that? I guess it started, George, when I fell in love. and <laughs> <laughs> with, with the person or <laughs> with yourself? Or? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Turn it up. So predictive. Everyone's always having a go at me for yeah. that. Okay. Maybe I should take heed. No, okay. uh, when did I? So I, I think both my parents have a love of language that rubbed off on me a little bit. Oh, right. And uh, I, my, my dad would probably consider himself a poet, for example. As in uh, he's written stuff? He has published a, a, few, a few poems. I think um, all, all in French, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> which... which <laughs> Which they're like, oh, this this kid didn't fall far from the tree, did he? This pretentious, privileged, absolute fuckwit <laughs> can see where he got it from. Uh, no, no, no. I love poetry, but I feel like you can't say that without having a sense of irony about you. Yeah. And once you start taking yourself too seriously, then it's like, what are we doing? But... Uh, I mean, I probably the thing I love about these guys is that I sort of stumbled upon some of these artists and poets accidentally. Mary Oliver, especially, I saw her in a like uh, this uh, in like an abandoned church in in New York doing like some readings of her poems, and then she had such a, like an angelic aura about her, and the way she would land words and chose words it was so deliberate and purposeful and trans each utterance sort of transmitted something so full of her own being mm. if that makes sense i'm like wow this woman has really lived lived the life to be able to articulate these ideas and these feelings in such an economic and sort of transcendent way and uh i actually when so she she was from uh, born somewhere in Ohio, but she lived most of her life in a like a small fishing village in Provincetown, which is about four hours east of Boston along the coast, and the very tip of the coast is Provincetown. It's just a very sleepy fishing village, and uh, I went there by myself a few years ago. And Danny Clow, who you might remember, a New York comedian uh, who was uh, well, lives in New York, but used to live in Melbourne. He, he got me tickets for The Tonight Show uh, with a, some, someone else. But then I, I thought, oh, I really wanted to go to this fishing village in Provincetown and like booked a, a bed and breakfast to go there. And so I didn't go to um, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And I just caught the bus to Boston. Then I hired a car. And then I got there and and nothing happened when I got there. It was just like just nothingness and, and spaciousness and uh, I mean you could say boring but then you're sort of missing the point of it but uh, it was the perfect Mary Oliver thing for those of the listeners who know who Mary Oliver is because one of her themes is that she's always encouraging people to be more still or see what's really there or find delight in some banal or unexpected simple thing like a cup of tea or a ladybug on on a leaf and she's got she's got a line for example uh in one of her poems the last line it says um uh what do you what would you do with your one wild and precious life and 
this line is often quoted in – I see it on social media all the time in Instagram, people like on a cliff face doing cr- or jumping out of an aeroplane. What else would you do with your one wild and precious <laughs> life? And that poem or that line comes from a poem where uh, it's her like sitting in this meadow and she sees a grasshopper sort of chewing on the grass and it's – the whole spirit of it is that what else would you do? Isn't this perfect? It's like beyond anything you would – want to do anyway yeah just sitting there and, and just appreciating yeah isn't this what? this this is it this is the the sweet nectar of being alive right here yeah, yeah. and what else would you want to do tell me uh, what uh, would you is, do okay yeah with your one wild and precious life so. that's um that's that's that's, I, I, that's very funny you're that, gonna make me laugh now whenever i see that on instagram have you seen that again. quote before no no but I, I, i'm sure i'm sure i have i just it hasn't you know one of those yeah you'll see it you'll you, see yeah, it yeah. yeah and now i'm gonna be like you idiots yeah yeah <laughs> you haven't read mary <laughs> mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. But uh, so, did you go to that quiet fishing town because you'd seen Mary Oliver uh, previously? I, I'd, I'd read a lot of her stuff, and uh, again and again. And then I, um, she, the place of Provincetown sort of permeates her writing in a big way, and I just wanted to be in the place that had inspired a lot of the stuff she'd written, and that was it. And that's all I did there, and I was just there for a day. And then and then left. So did you? Um, yeah, like I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was technically boring because you're not going to go there and get in a spaceship. But like, did you just walk around and sit at a cafe and? Yeah, I, it was it was freezing, so mm-hmm. I didn't even walk around much. I was in like this bed and breakfast, and I just drove around the town a bit. There was like n- nothing happening. Like mm-hmm. one of the most nothing happening places I'd ever been to, but that was sort of the perfect thing. And then two weeks later, she passed away. Mary Oliver. (laughs) (sighs) I don't even know what to do with that information. (laughs) You you went to laugh and then I saw you try and suppress your laugh. I didn't do it as a punchline (laughs) for the whole thing. That's what I mean. I don't know what. I'm just just saying, George. It makes you think. We're part of something bigger than ourselves, aren't we, mate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 true. It's just a mysterious unfolding tapestry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. This is but I guess and then, and then a guy called Province <laughs> met me on the way back home in another town. <laughs> No, I know, like, is in just the fact. Although I think it actually would be more beautiful in some ways to go there. Uh, like, I, I, is that the only time? Because this is funny. I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I, Ian M. Banks. You ever heard of that guy? He's a sci-fi writer. He also does speculative, like, fiction stuff. Okay, and he he's from Scotland. And he's yeah. Edinburgh, and he passed away like eight nine years ago. And I loved him. And he passed away, and it was like a very public thing when he did it. Like. He was blogging about it because he got a terminal illness. Yeah. And his whole attitude towards life is like quite accepting of that. So he was 
not making fun of it as in like, ah, but it was more like this is going to happen, letting everyone know. And he kind of like was very public about everything that was happening to him and his acceptance of what was going to happen. And the first time I went to Edinburgh, I uh, went and had, because one of his best books is on the Fourth of Firth Bridge, which is this red wire bridge that's in Edinburgh. And one of his best books is set on that bridge. Oh, wow. So I kind of sat and had a beer in his honor, just been looking. Oh, like, that's yeah. nice. I'm like, you go in. I'm like, yeah. That's Good. very nice. Love you, Ian. Um, so I'd, I've done that before. Yeah. Like, yeah. In, that Just that feeling of almost the connection with the work that you feel something from and you almost want to do something else that like reflects it, I guess, or yeah, something sort of external. Just, it sort of uh, anchors it in your being in a different way. Yeah. So, did you feel any of that when you were, like, were you, like, I guess, how how hard did you go on this Mary Oliver journey of yours? Were you sitting there reading it during no, the day I, I and didn't, stuff like that? No, I didn't that? recall. I can't remember what I did. I was still just living my life and talking to people probably on Messenger and then been like, yeah, I'll be back in New York in a day and I had friends there. And it was a weird thing to explain to people because uh, they're like, I thought you were in New York. I'm like, no, nah, I'm like, I'm in Provincetown. Why are you in Provincetown? like, Oh, there's this old woman who <laughs> used to live there, and I just wanted to go there. Yeah, they're like, "What?" So I don't know. It's uh, but that's kind of what I loved about it, that nothing remarkable happened, and I didn't try to make anything remarkable happen other than just just pay it a visit. Yeah, like you did on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. kind of showing that little bit of a I don't know, yeah, that external almost act of this thing that's impacted you so much internally. Yeah. Um, I guess to tie it back to with Tennessee Williams, he's obviously from the South. Did you do anything like that for old? No, I've never been to where Tennessee's from. So the, the, the it's, it's set in St. Louis, um, the, the glass menagerie. And a lot of his poems, he's got a collection of poems that I don't have right here right now, but I do have, and they're, they're gorgeous as well. And one story about that, uh, so about 10, 11 years ago, I was living in Sydney and uh, a streetcar named Desire was on at STC, the Sydney Theatre Company, and uh, Tennessee wrote that play. And my sister came up from Melbourne and we, we watched it together and then we bought these Tennessee William poetry books afterwards and one of them had a, uh, a CD in at the back of it with – Tennessee reciting his own poetry and it was so gorgeous it was like really the most scrumptious thing yeah and there's there's still a line that I remember and we paused it the the way he said it and so the poem was called eyes for Oliver who was a a lover of his and uh, he has this line where he says the eyes are not lucky they seem to be hopelessly inclined to linger and just the way he said linger, we were like, <gasps> both of our hearts simultaneously stopped beating. We, we looked at each other, breathtaking. It just, man, he's a saint, that guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a southern accent for that sort of lilting, magical yes, sound. Definitely, as well. but the eyes are hopelessly inclined to linger. And even the way he says linger, he's mm-hmm. lingering on those syllables. And, uh, so I was with your sister. I was with my sister. We're sitting on my couch in my room there. And uh, it was a nice moment, unforgettable. So I'm grateful for Tennessee. And he had a very close relationship and turbulent relationship with his sister as well. So I've, uh, I feel a big affinity with, with Tennessee. Uh, it's been a bit turbulent with your sister as well? Uh, you know, uh, no, I've got a very good relationship with my sister. Mm. But just there are, there are things inside of that play and his sensibility um, towards women as a whole is, like, really wonderful. And I think, you know, he's probably the best playwright to write great women characters. I mean, one legitimate criticism of plays in the 20th century is, like, these these female characters are very two-dimensional, and Tennessee Williams' women were, like, wildly fantastic and ferocious and you know, very much ahead of the time he was writing it. And, yeah, he's, he's, he's worth looking into. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm just brooking. Check him out. Yeah. <laughs> Follow just, his Twitter. This Tennessee guy, he's pretty good. Just, just letting you guys know. Uh, but oh, God. I, I'm sorry, everybody. No, that's, that's okay. I I, anyway. <laughs> it's just funny. So, have you only got one sister? 
I've got one sister and I have two brothers, and oh, all of them oh. younger than me. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. What about you, George? Three, three brothers. Where do you come I'm one from? of four boys. I'm the third. There you go. Yeah, I know. I know. There you go. But uh, close with your siblings? Yeah, yeah. Super tight. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I, I didn't realize you had uh, two brothers as well as the sister. Are you all people who <laughs> stop and listen to Tennessee Williams reading uh, <laughs> the phrase linger? Would, would we, I mean, we all have a sort of like a bit of a sensibility about us to varying degrees, I would say. <laughs> it's It fascinates me because like uh, I probably am very much the opposite in a lot of ways. Of so, your three brothers? Of, of my family uh, in general. Oh, really? I'm very much the outlier in terms of... So how so? From a awareness of culture, I guess, point of view, in terms of like none of them would know anything about Tennessee Williams or anything like that or poetry and stuff like that. I've always been quite separate in my... Pursuit of those tastes. Uh, yeah. It's quite outside of the family unit. While yours, it's just interesting to hear someone who's got the exact opposite, who's got like everyone kind of. <laughs> I wrote a French poem today, and you're like, "Oh, thanks, Dad." <laughs> Sis, it's like, let's. Do you want to listen to Tennessee Williams again? It's like I don't have time. I've got my brother writing haikus. <laughs> <laughs> haikus that's right i pronounced it wrong um yeah so that's part of this because like as in i i it's an upbringing i have no interaction with obviously is ultra normal i mean maybe I'm, I'm i'm probably misleading you a little bit to make it sound very idyllic and yeah, yeah. Oh, no, i know that we were so like much. we sat around in a circle what poem would you like to read today joseph oh i'm glad you asked mother <laughs> i mean it wasn't quite like that but uh yeah in their in their own way they have been very um encouraging and helpful and actually i'll say this do you know the the writer khalil gibran he, he wrote a book called the prophet oh yeah yeah yeah. no that's yes yes yes, yes. And i've he, got that on my kindle because i've not read it as much as I should. Oh, you sh- oh, this is a gorgeous thing it's got and it's a sort of a med- it's all just little yeah like meditations on yeah, yeah. on marriage on children on working maybe one or two pages and so i, I was studying law and working at a law firm you know over a decade ago now and one day I told my dad, oh, you know, I, I want to be a poet and an actor. And uh, he said, you know, Joseph, for a reasonable person, it's not a very reasonable decision. And I didn't try to engage him or persuade him about doing what I wanted to do, but I just let it be. And then uh, I was staying at his place at the time. And then the next day he uh, put a piece of paper on uh, my bed when I woke up and it was, he'd written out a chapter from the prophet, Khalil Skabran, the prophet on children. And I don't know off by heart, but the essence of it is that your children are not your children. They have their own dreams. And as a parent, you are the bow and they are the arrows sort of sent forth in, into the world. And um, you can't touch their dreams even if you want to. And part of being what you need to be as a, a father or mother is, release them and be there for them to go forth and uh it was it was it was an eloquent and very kind gesture that i wow. appreciated a lot oh my god that is such a <laughs> again it's just so different <laughs> writing out a poem from Khalil Gibran and leaving it on your pillow just to give you a, the yes it's okay to what you're doing i guess yes um yes. Which is so, yes. Yeah, so in other words, so you've had supportive parents in terms of that regard, of yes. pursuing whatever it is, self actualizing, however it is that you do that. Yes. Yeah. And you, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. I'm very lucky in that yeah. sense. And the same goes for, I'm guessing, obviously, all the siblings, if you're the eldest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Okay. That's, yeah. I, mean, I guess. <laughs> say what you want to say, Georgie boy. <laughs> say what you want to say. Come on. Let me have it. Shit on my whole family, why don't you? <laughs> No, I just, it's just I very rarely get to hear. Just I don't think I've ever met someone so waspy before. Wow. I knew you were a wanker, mate, but I didn't know how deep, I didn't know how pervasive, how far back, how ancestral your wankerdism. <laughs> it's not just you. It's your sister. It's your brothers. Your father's feeding that fire. God, help your son. You never would have stood a chance, to be honest. I almost feel sorry for your privileged white ass. <laughs> oh, it's so funny, yeah. That's yeah a, I don't know, man. No, that is, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, look, it's, it's important to get all perspectives on this podcast, even 
Even the, even this kind. <laughs> I'm glad to no. be here. I'm glad you're here. No, it is. It's a it, well. I'm just. It's just funny because of like how different that is. Because it is like it's something especially I get to see in the comedy world because it's something which, I, again, I've I'm almost an offshoot doing arts even from the rest of my family. Yes. So it's very interesting seeing the people who have that like much deeper like background in it. I guess they grew up with that sort of stuff involved in their lives. In the comedy world? Uh, or just No, but it, the arts, I guess. So it's yes. like just who, like the parents weren't just doing it for you, they were doing it for themselves and yes. you were coming along with them and stuff like that. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a gift. It's really, it's really nice. It that, is, it is. Yeah. It's nice to talk about these things. I mean, we're taking the piss a bit, but it's, you know, I, I love to, I could talk about this all day, mate. And, in terms of the arts or... Or uh, just p- poetry stuff. And I, I was, one of the things you said um, about cadence and rhythm, I feel like, that might be almost the main thing that I read for is 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 that, and that's probably why I, I like to read different things because just to see how people are using the music of language to communicate different things and ideas. And do, do you know the um, comedian? Oh God, I just had a, a mind blank. Um, ah, oh, beautiful guy. He passed away in L.A. He killed himself. Brody Stevens. Stephen Bro- Brody Stevens. Mm. The only thing I was going to st- say about him is that actually a few days before he passed away, I was at the comedy store in LA. And have, have you been there before? It's got no, multiple rooms in the venue. And I'd been in the belly room, which is a small room. And I was leaving at about 12.30. And I went past the main room, which is a much bigger room, maybe 250 seats. But there was about 10 people in there. And just at, I stopped at the doorway and Brody Stevens was on stage and he was, he was sort of in the middle of a bomb. And so I stopped to watch that and uh, he, he was sort of berating the audience and he said, you know, I'm following Dalia, Rogan, Spade. I'm a killer. You should be giving me laughs on cadence alone. <laughs> Which is such a beautiful, fantastic line. And, and I started laughing in the doorway when he, when he said that. And, uh, and then he, he said, you see this guy, he gets comedy. And then he kind of riffed more for like 30 or 40 minutes. And I just watched this guy and was like, oh, wow, how wonderful. I'm going to be a fan forever for this dude. And then uh, less than a week later, he was no longer with us. But there's been a trend here. <laughs> it's been a worrying trend, to be honest. But uh, the, the only reason I thought of Brody Stevens was because the way he had cadence as a punchline and was so quintessential to who he was as a comic that what made him funny was his rhythm and his way of laying out words. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's uh, like I do find it's funny. <laughs> I know you're laughing at yourself saying laying out words laying after all. Laying out words <laughs> in slow motion. That yeah. rhythm. <laughs> and, you know, doing word stuff, like, good at that. You know, doing words, right? Um, but no, that, well, because yeah, the, the, there is a connection, I think, between, like, mm-hmm. the poetry side of things, and it can be in comedy, where, like, you know, it is a reflection, because it's obviously language, um, and it's spoken word almost. So, you, it's a very clear line you can draw between those two kind of art forms, if you want to put yeah. it that way. Um, is that something you would bring, you would kind of think about when you're trying to craft jokes and things like that? Oh, I like I like turns of phrases and uncommon usages of words. I, mm. like, I like that. And if I stumble upon that, I'm like, oh, I like the way those words go together. But uh, it's, it's not something I like seek out specifically. So it's like, I just hope I stumble upon it accidentally and it's funny as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. But it's interesting... Um, yeah, because both of them can be spoken word. I mean, uh, Andrea Gibson, she's another fantastic spoken word poet and writer. Uh, but also what I was wanting to ask you in the context of, you know, talking about books like you do, do you ever talk about audio books or has that ever come up as a, as a topic of conversation of people listening to books now? Because I know people do that a lot. Well, I mean, it is a topic like, I mean... Yeah, like a little bit, but not really in these interviews and stuff. But do, it's something do, do, I've only do, recently. Do, have you ever done that? Or I've do only do... just recently, like literally, like a couple of weeks ago, just started uh, getting into it. I listened to, uh, but not see. Okay, this is actually interesting, right? So this is what I'm, this is a discussion. Okay, yeah. So I started off. I'm still developing what I like to listen to in audiobook personally, and I think you, for me, you just started two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, just started. Like yeah. So I think 
the more, I don't want to say, more entertainment-driven writing. So, like, I listened to Dracula. Yeah. Which is my, I haven't read it before. Yeah. So good. So good. And But who, it, who, who's, I feel like it's very important who's reading it as well. Well, this is a cast. So, Dracula, because it's written in, like, a letter format where everyone's oh, wow. got their own thing. So, yeah. it actually has a whole cast of people doing each of the sections. Oh, amazing. Um, But, yeah, I do agree that it depends totally on who's reading it. But also, like, in terms of how you take it in. Because the funny thing is about some of this more lyrical stuff is that, uh, you need like even spoken word pod like as in are you hearing everything they're saying or is it a case where almost a lot of it flows past you because it's so uh, it's a lot to th- take in far, you know I, I, mean? I don't I'm not a, like a huge follower of spoken word poetry but the woman I would follow the most would be I, actually I stuffed that up there it's not a woman it's a they uh, Andre Gibson is they is their chosen pronoun mm-hmm. but their their way of delivering is so again it's so rhythmical and so i feel unique to andrea uh it's like you're listening but it's it's sort of taken together it creates its own music mm. so you're listening and receiving the music of what they're they're doing and saying and i like you similar to you i i haven't really listened to many audio books the only one i've listened to is I read half of it and I listened to half of it was um, Paul Kelly's How to Make Gravy, and which is a cl- collection of his songs and s- anecdotes about his songs. But I feel like that is different as well because he's a spoken word artist, a singer-songwriter, and so he's sort of in his medium even reading aloud. You know yeah. what I mean? It's different from just if I'd picked up any, you know, The Great Gatsby and got Joe Bloggs to narrate it it's very much his writing is made for being read out loud yes and heard yes out loud yeah yeah versus most books which are written just for the thing that's what that's why i actually kind of agree i'm a bit i'm still in the fence about deciding whether i think there will be a space for it but it won't be for every type of book it'll be for like certain ones i'm not sure yet yeah yeah i'm still trying to figure out yeah i feel the same way about that yeah yeah let's go so let's go back to the glass menagerie oh sure i don't know if we've touched on that enough so you've chosen the glass menagerie because you found its insight into family and the way you wrote women and stuff like that that's kind of what you vibed definitely like the so tom is the main character in the glass menagerie and i guess that's sort of a version of tennessee and I, I just felt like, oh, that's that's me. And in, yeah. vis-a-vis my mum and my sister at that particular time. That's why I'm thinking, that's that's what I'm finding interesting when you mention that. So, yeah. Well, there's just like a lot of, one of the, you're, I guess what you're probing is like, what are the themes that resonated for me? So I would say there was sort of a a longing in this character, Tom, to be out in the world and explore and live his own life and uh, the sort of a, a resentment or anger towards his mum but his dad had left him and in the play, uh, very symbolically, there's a, a picture of the dad in the background. So even though he's absent and has been absent from the family, he's a presence that lingers and I guess he feels angry towards his dad but often takes it out on his mum and maybe vice versa with his mum towards him. And his sister has a, sort of a, a crippling injury that she can never recover from. And uh, he really wants to discover who he is and break away. And the play is, he's narrating a, the play, but he's also a character in it. So he talks about how even after you leave the place where you come from, you, you never leave it and it's always living inside of you and the people who are your people, your family, your satsang, your you know, anamkara, your true people, these um they're also connected to you from with this unbreakable cord. Um and that his mother and his sister are always still there. And so surrendering to that and accepting that these people, no matter like what joy or sadness exists in those relationships, those things are are a live part of him. And uh, he, he sort of articulates it in such a wonderful way. And um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So did you, because uh, my straightaway thought is how like, that's true uh, to a degree because 
um, not, I mean, I just think of people who've left maybe a family relationship which was bad for them mm-hmm. and they didn't want to be a part of it and they're left sure. and obviously it still has an impact on them but the relationship stuff are finished. But yes. it sounds in your case, it's yes. like what you, you realize that those relationships were still strong even if you tried to push and go away from it? Yes, yes. Even if you're sort of like craving your space or your a better sense of your individual identity, you can't deny like the effect that those people have had on your formation of like who you are in the world yeah i mean that and but also like it sounds like but also you might think you want to leave but actually maybe you do want to maintain a level of contact yes absolutely i mean that that's kind of a theme or a way of interpret interpreting the play or tom's journey within the play as well yeah, because I mean, I, I again, just because I'm thinking it's not necessarily everyone the case where they want to leave and maintain relationships. Sometimes people want to leave and they don't want to come back and they don't want to talk sure, to and for, for good sure, reason. For sure. Um, but that's not the case with you. So maybe you did want to leave, but you also yeah. felt that drawing you back. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was like specific circumstances of that play that also like paralleled my, my, my own life very, very closely. And, um, I think sometimes the in any form of storytelling, poetry, stand up, the I, I mean I probably think about this in stand up terms the most. When you really lean into like something deeply personal for you, it's easier to stumble upon the universal thing that people are like. Oh, of course. And sometimes you oh at least I know I've surprised myself in thinking oh is, will this be relevant or will this relate or connect. And then you do something that's very idiosyncratic to your own experience and you realize that that transmits or gets over to an audience in a deeper, more impactful way than if you tried to craft a, a smart idea that you thought might get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like as in, uh, it's funny, I was, I was speaking something similar just with the previous guest, Anna Papa Scott, about yes. that, that exact same sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, to take it another way though, from what it sounds like you're saying, uh, sometimes because you have an idea that you want to actually pass across as well and sure. maybe tying that into a more personal experience actually makes it more relatable for people to understand that idea. Absolutely. Than, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's something you felt uh, was happening even in this story of this gay man in the South in what is it, 1950s or 1940s or something? Uh, like yeah, it's, it's set in – what is it? Uh, it's, uh, he says at the start, it's like – um, just after the First World War, so maybe okay, the nineteen twenties. Yeah, nineteen thirties, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you're feeling that connection, even though across that time and space, whatever. Because even though it's being very personal in there, you're you're seeing the underlying thing going on. Well, it's tapping into just sort of archetypal characters and also archetypal relationships, just brother, sister, son, mother, son, father. Mm. So, I mean, I think when you're talking about your experience in those spaces. That, that invokes a whole range of things for everybody. And every, any audience is always projecting their own experiences and store, their own stories into the story. Mm. So that's, I love that about any form of storytelling, that it's, it's, a, it's a big souping, a melting pot of collective experiences that when, when I read the, the Glass Menagerie, it's Tennessee's experience and his words on the page, but I'm, I'm just I'm making the story with my whole experience that he couldn't know about. I know, although at the same time, you, you're doing a, a white dude's son who's dealing with his sister and a mum and yeah, a dad yeah. well, who's distant. Exactly. It's like your one actually is funny because there are also the parallels there as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what did I want to say about that? Yeah, just I love that about the process of storytelling. Yeah, right. how you can feel, find these connections and, and you can yeah. actually connect with people you wouldn't even think about. Exactly. Over time and space almost. Yeah. Um, nice. Okay. Well, I, I probably should tie this up soon, but I, I, I am interested because of it sounds like this had quite a personal reflection for you. Yes. Having this piece. Did it actually make you reevaluate maybe even your relationships with the people that were involved in it? Uh, that's like, a did you question. make it, yeah, re look at maybe, oh, this is. You know, I've, I've probably thought of that more uh, recently coming home because I think. So I, I, I was. I lived in Sydney for over a year, then I lived in America for about four years. And then, so I think after returning home, I felt the effect of it more. 
mm. if that makes sense. And when I read the play after I'd returned home, because I suppose I've returned to it, you know, several times, um, it had that impact. What what you just alluded to that made me think about those relationships in a more healing or loving way. If that's what you're getting at, I'm not sure. Well, no, I'm not saying it's a, a, yeah. any specific way, but just whether it did actually make you. There's another, and sorry, this doesn't. Although maybe there is a book about it. It's um into the do you know into the wild the film. Yeah, was, is that was that a book yeah. as well? Uh, maybe not actually. It must have been because he wrote a journal, and that's what that's how yeah, it's based on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen it, yeah, yeah, uh, or seen it or read it, but um, seen it, yeah, seen it. <laughs> But that, that that I watched that recently about a month ago, but I'd seen it 12 years ago. And I think this is the interesting thing about stories and an audience's relationship to a story is that when I first saw it, I it had a tremendous impact in that I thought he was... So what, what happens just briefly is that there's a young kid who's gone to law school, law school, and he sort of is angry at his parents and he resents them a lot. And then he, he's like you've kind of misled me. I'm doing this, being filled with these false ideas and capitalistic notions. I'm hitting the road and I'm just going to immerse myself in nature and find out what life's really about. And then he isolates himself and he ends up dying uh, through poisoning himself. And by accident. By accident. Yeah. But still, he, he kills himself. But not... But he destroys it. He, you know, if, if you're going to put yourself in the middle of nowhere where you have no connection to anybody... You're in danger of dying. Yeah, but you're not doing it to die. I, mean, I know, two but, very but, different but like things. His, his, yes, but his like his self preservation and his capacity to take care of himself, he just diminished to a big degree. And I think at the end of the story, he realizes he has a sense of compassion for his parents that he didn't at the beginning, and he realizes that really the point of life is the relationships you have and finding forgiveness within those spaces. And loving the people you can while you can. And when he has that realization, though, it's, it's too late. He's isolated and he can't physically be there, even though this is what he's experiencing. But the only reason I say that is because when I first saw it, I thought, yeah, he's fucked the system. He's really telling his parents how it is and why he needs to go away. And mm. he's, he's vindicated and he understands what life's about. And uh, then when I watched it, Recently, I'm like, oh, wow, he's just a really angry kid. And his anger is getting in the way of him being able to see that his parents were just trying to love him the best way they could, even though that was imperfect at the time they, they were doing it. Yeah. And is that something you actually felt maybe you had a realization of? Definitely. The second time, definitely. The first time, I didn't see that in the story at all, even though it is in the story. Yeah, yeah. I didn't receive that at all because I was probably too angry at that point in my life yeah so that's what i mean so for you you actually mirrored that yourself oh, that journey yeah was that like after you went away you kind of calmed down or it wasn't until yeah you know older? once i'd really you know broken myself down and humbled myself a lot and just failed a lot in many different things uh, i just had a more space to see my own parents with compassion and forgiveness yeah yeah all right, that's nice. That's a good yeah, place brother. to get to. <laughs> it is. It is. It's it's an ongoing place. Yeah, it's I don't know about it. Take a the shit out of you one day, but then you're like, no, but I do love them, I guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I always ask this at the end of every episode. Yes. I don't know if we will have much on this one, but uh, do you feel like you've learned anything new about your relationship with the glass menagerie or anything like that? Today? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just, it's not often that I would articulate my feelings around it, so... I think just saying it out aloud sort of um, makes it land in myself in a deeper way, perhaps. Mm. And how it's changed for you over the time. I think that's a pretty yeah, and and how and just reflect more about how stories, even though the ch- story is its own concrete thing, the way it affects us or the way it's affected me has sort of shifted based on how I've changed as well. Yeah. I did, I did, um, that's why you got to reread stuff you like. I think. <laughs> yeah, because you're you're an ever changing thing. Yeah, and 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 actually, the like the equation of a story is not just the story; it's the the audience is a a participant in it. 
hundred percent. Yeah, yes. and you can totally take something different from it as well. Yeah, yeah. That's why you got to. That's why you take seven books with you. You got to. That's why I have seven, in. man. Always yeah. seven. <laughs> you're in. You always got to have seven. Ready to go. Whatever mood you're in, I'm going to reflect on this today. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Probably should tie it off there. Oh, Georgie, about... love you, man. Thank you yeah, so no, much. You've been a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Joseph you... Green. You want to give a little plug to anything you got going on? I got nothing going on, man. Okay, I love the honesty. <laughs> 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 All right, well, thanks a lot for being on, Joe. Thanks, brother. All right, cheers. cheers. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sanspants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.